And once again, bearing out to be true, uh, we on the Zero Credits podcast have decided uh, to do something other than covering uh, groundbreaking uh, news event uh, that is echoing through our country, if not the world. And indeed, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Summer of Godzilla, the uh, most apropos thing to talk about right now. That's right. Five movies, ten weeks, all the Godzilla you can fucking handle. If you wanted to hear us talk about anything else, you are out of luck. Uh, this week, we are talking about 2014's Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards. Uh, I, as always, am John. And my name is Henry this week. Yes, this week. Uh, unfortunately, it is Henry. Better luck next week. Uh, this is a zero-credit supplemental reading as part of a series. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with a zero-credit supplemental reading, uh, we will talk about a film in its entirety that we consider to be important, though we've let go of that. Uh, so if you have not seen this, uh, I would recommend you see it or uh, proceed with Reckless Abandon if you don't care, because we will talk about it, uh, assuming you have seen the movie. That's right. We will reference every minute and second of this movie, covering it in its entirety until it feels like you've watched it too. No, we're not. We're not going to do that. I don't know why I said that. But we are going to talk about the movie in length. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. So, <laughs> uh, indeed, what a uh, that that's what really? I like to call a pregnant throw. You gave me everything I needed to get started. Gareth Edwards. Uh, by the way, not Gareth Evans, which I thought it was, which I was very um, excited by. What else has uh, Gareth Edwards directed? Do we know? Nothing that I've seen. He directed. It was actually kind of an impressive achievement. He like directed was the direct was like the head of cinematography on like the director of photography on a film called Monsters, which was apparently quite good. Uh, and then after Godzilla, he directed uh, Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars saga okay okay that's that's a pretty good second film yeah i i I think that that rogue one was quite good now of course i was confused because initially i thought it was gareth evans uh director of uh the raid movies which are arguably some of the best action movies uh made of the last 20 years or maybe ever also directed apostle and gangs of london gareth evans very good (laughs) not the guy who directed godzilla and it shows a little bit. I mean, there's this this, this movie is more of a, a character study than it is anything else. Uh, yes, it it certainly is. I feel like maybe we should give a little bit of context about our uh, since this is the week of the the. I call it the week summer of Godzilla. Since this is the summer of Godzilla, I think it would make sense for us each to talk a little bit about uh, our relationships uh, to the great. <laughs> I don't know why I was going to call it this, but the great green mother of three, uh, I think. <laughs> wait, 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 The uh-huh. great green mother of three? <laughs> I think my brain was really reaching for like a slant rhyme with green. Uh, so three my brain decided that Godzilla is the great green mother of three. Bigger than a tree. The mother Bigger of than green. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, I, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about our personal relationships with Godzilla because they're, I think they're actually pretty storied. And if this is a celebration of the great green mother of three, I really got to let that go. Uh, I, I feel like it would make sense for us to talk about that. 
Right. Okay. So Godzilla is um, a giant lizard. Uh, one might call it a dinosaur. Uh, it breathes fire or atomic breath from its mouth. And all of these, this is to say that for a young Henry, uh, that checked all of the boxes for something that was fucking cool. And so I had Godzilla toys, Godzilla video games on late night on Comedy Central or Sci-Fi, one of those two channels, old Godzilla movies would come on and I would catch them and I would watch them in black and white and they would they're goofy as fuck but I was be, I would be enthralled with the ones I could see. Usually they involved Mothra for some reason, maybe they only had the rights to the Mothra related Godzillas. Um but I don't know. But Yes, Godzilla was huge and great and good and will always be huge, great, and good. And that is me, John. Yeah, I am a was and still am a huge Godzilla fan, especially as a child. I owned a ton of Godzilla toys. Uh, I, I think I was in a similar boat. I think it was like a sci-fi channel or something would just air a lot of old Godzilla movies. Love those bought the toys watched of course the uh the terrible terrible animated series uh with <laughs> Godzuki. and uh, Godzuki. The, uh up from the depths 30 stories high uh not a good show uh but i loved godzilla as a kid and then growing up i continued to love godzilla through my kind of awkward anime loving teen phase uh and then kind of fell off but i think that in the last few years the last seven years i guess uh, i've actually spent a lot of time watching these movies from the n- kind of nouveau godzilla cinematic universe uh, of course right. we all remember 2004's godzilla with matthew broderick a classic uh but since awful. then since then so... i think as a, as a small child i watched that godzilla it's not 2004's it's like 1997's sorry yeah it was a movie that was so bad um, that uh, somebody at Toho watched it and was like, okay, we can't let the Americans have this movie. And so they came back with a Godzilla 2000. Yes, and Godzilla 2000 rules. Yeah, Godzilla two- updated the look of Godzilla officially, changed from kind of green to more of a black, um, and the breath turned blue. All All good choices. And it all came from Matthew Broderick Noticing that the earthworms were upset. Yes. Yeah, so That's how that a... movie fucking starts. He's like, the earthworms are upset. Uh, uh, and then Godzilla shows up. And it's like, this explains the earthworms. And I'm like, Matthew Broderick, you killed somebody. Yeah. No one ever really talks about that. And uh, we shan't either. Spent a lot of time watching these, these nouveau Godzilla movies. But I think uh, to your delight... I will tell you that I don't think I've actually seen this Godzilla movie until oh, this episode. Wow. Now, so yeah, this Godzilla movie, uh, headed by WB, kicks off what is now known as the Monster Cinematic Universe or something, like the MonsterVerse, something like that. It was really only given a name. Oh, after the MCU. The, <laughs> really, only given a name after the Marvel Cinematic Universe became a cinematic universe. Um, before that, it was really just a series of films. Um, but yes, this film, this was back in the in the the heyday, the the Halcyon days, where I watched trailers, and the trailer to this film was magnificent, John. 
I do very much remember the trailers. They were they were very good. The the tra- this is a rare instance where whoever made the trailer saw like the highlight of the movie and put it as the trailer and I'm not mad about it because the the trailer for this movie was the Halo drop sequence which happens near like 80% of the way through this movie but it started with no context just people jumping out of a plane going through a thunderstorm with these these red smoke trails after them and then they just go scaling down Godzilla and you're like what the fuck this is amazing I'm going to have to see this film and I did and it was great I don't know that 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 was the last time I think a trailer actually sold me on a movie I mean I I think that it uh one of the things that I'm going to do pretty often uh, throughout the supplementary reading, I think, is uh, kind of compare this movie to a movie that I've seen a lot, which is uh, Ishiro Honda's original Godzilla. And I think that there are some pretty interesting comparisons to make there. Uh, is Elizabeth but, Olsen also in that one? Yes. Uh, she's, uh, <laughs> yeah. she's, uh, she's a fan of being in things that are in black and white and then later are in color. Right. Um, she was yeah, practicing WandaVision. her. She was, she, yeah, yeah. Scarlet Witch, where we all know. We all uh, know. But I, I don't want my comparisons of the two to ever make it seem like 2014's Godzilla uh, doesn't rule. It doesn't rule? I don't want it to seem when I'm oh, comparing okay. it to the old Godzilla right. that this movie doesn't rock because this movie yeah. uh, pretty solidly rocks. This movie slaps in a weird way. Uh, when I. And. I say that upon a second viewing because I remember when I first saw this movie, I walked away thinking like, man, they should just let the monsters fight. That's what I came to see. Why, why do we have to spend all these time, all this time on multiple kids being left by their parents? It happens at least four times in this movie. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I feel like the, uh, the screenwriter for the film might be trying to process some, some childhood trauma. Lot of abandonment. <laughs> Lot of abandonment. Only one only one kid really gets reunited on screen with their parent. Um, but yeah, uh well, the the first time I saw it, I was kinda like, Well, I feel cheated because I, I barely got to see a fight. Uh the second time viewing it for this podcast, I couldn't get over how brilliant it was. Um that we really don't get to see the fights. We see them through newscast and, and they're in the background. And it's not until the very, very end we actually get to see a Godzilla fight. And for some reason, it just sort of works. I mean, this is a hot take that I'll have going throughout. But has been true, I think, of Godzilla movies stretching back forever. The monster fights aren't the best part of Godzilla. And I don't think they ever have been. They're cool, uh, but I, I don't think that's the actual, like, meat of a good Godzilla movie. Like, the original Godzilla, uh, what, 1954, it came out, yes. I think. It was primarily yeah. shot documentary style, like it was documenting a natural disaster. Yeah, yeah. Which is pretty cool. In in, a, in of itself, Um but yeah, 1954 was that original Godzilla movie, a fact that's paid homage in this movie with the fact that the first time Godzilla showed up, the American government nuclear bombed it back to the depths of the ocean in the year 1954. And it's interesting, 
I think there's a lot to say about this movie's stance on nuclear ordinance as a whole as compared to the original Godzilla. Uh, but uh, I, I guess I hadn't thought of that, that, uh, that the American government like had knowledge of Godzilla. Because we know in the original Godzilla, they float the idea that Godzilla was awakened by the nuclear testing on Bikini Atoll, whereas this right. movie... Uh, presupposes that they knew about Godzilla and Bikini Atoll was them bombing him back into the ocean. Exactly. And I, I feel like this is teased out so cleverly. And this is not the only movie in this WB series to do this. But the opening credit sequence, you think it might be just set dressing, but it's actually backstory. It's lore. All of these redacted things, but the footage you're seeing of like the the the, the, test, the like nuclear tests going on and Godzilla, the spikes in the ocean, those actually happened in this world. And it's not until I want to say halfway through the movie that somebody actually explains that Godzilla has been seen before and all of those testing were actually them fighting it off. But we kind of already had that foreknowledge because the credits just straight up showed us that. Yeah, I made the mistake of, and like you said, this is something that gets reused through these movies quite often. I made the mistake of not paying attention uh, to the uh, kind of foreknowledge-laden opening credit sequence. So uh, I was I was kind of taken aback by that. I noticed a, a couple things right there at the end. I was very excited when I saw Ken Watanabe's name, uh, because oh, of course yeah. Ken, Wat- Ken Watanabe is the best as Dr. Uh, Sarazawa. <laughs> Uh, Jamie watched it with me and she made a note that Ken Watanabe, he's a, he's a phenomenal actor, but he just, his, his best feature is just, he has a way of displaying just sheer awe better than yes. any other actor out there today. Yeah. I, I would say his look of awe and his look of incredulity are like platinum level acting. Both of them are so good. It's like, you know, actors, they have certain moves or, or things that they're good at. And, and so the, the back of his uh, his uh, resume, his, the back of his headshot says, like, look of awe, look of incred- incredulity. And uh, that's it. And they're like, all right, you're hired. <laughs> I, I like to imagine whenever he auditions for anything – uh they they like tell him what his character is he's like is my character in awe or is my character incredulous and then like uh i guess he's in awe and they like takes his glasses off and they're like you're hired yeah uh and then like when he shows up on set the director's like play with it a little you know you're in awe but you know you could be a little incredulous and he's like all right (laughs) all right uh, i've never been challenged in this way (laughs) Oh, okay. So Ken Watanabe's in this. Brian Cranston is in this. Yes. Uh, Elizabeth. Uh, this was during a time when Brian Cranston was in everything. He was blowing up. This was uh, right around the end of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. It was around the and end of Breaking Bad. He was in this. He was in Contagion. He was in a million other things. Yeah. And, and so he plays a, a, a nuclear engineer who is uh, an, an American and – a Japanese city called Janjira in the Kanto region of Japan. Um, and uh, yeah, he sends his wife to die and he has to struggle with that for 15 years. Once again, an- more abandonment happening. Right, right. Yeah, the movie starts, the movie starts out with so much abandonment. Like, <laughs> yeah. first of all, like it's his, it's his, it's, it's his, it's his birthday and like his son wants to make, made him a present and gave him a gift, but like, 
he was on the phone, so he couldn't acknowledge his son giving him the gift. And then there's something wrong with the power plan and no one will believe him. So he's like, he sends his wife to, down below to, to check out a reactor first thing so he can get this meeting. And then all hell breaks loose and he ends up losing his wife on the, on his birthday. And his son never quite uh, quite forgives him. No, I don't know. Eh, whatever. They have, a, they have a strained relationship. Not because of that, but because in the 15 preceding years, Brian Cranston's character becomes... Um, a conspiracy theorist, which there's a weird through line in these movies where conspiracy theorists are always proven correct. Yeah, I think that that can be read as problematic, but that actually ends up being true in a lot of American movies, kind of as part of our like indoctrinated individualistic myth. Like our our nutballs are usually right because we want to say that the people who are outside of society uh, are the ones who are right. Uh, which does not make people uh, have a have a good barometer for knowing when uh, when conspiracy theorists are wrong. It turns out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I feel like it just encourages conspiracy th- conspiracy theorists to just keep spouting their conspiracies because they're like, well, in the movies, I'm always right, and then I'm killed off soon after being proven right. So I'm still breathing. Got to keep keep breathing out these conspiracy theories. That's the great thing about this movie is you see Brian Cranston, like when they're both adults and Brian Cranston is like, uh, I thought he was going to be like an environmental terrorist, which would be cool. But it turns out he's just kind of crazy and wants to. He's right, of course. But then his son, uh, Anna Taylor Joy, but a boy's name, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Right. Oh, I I have no idea who this actor is. Um, And also. For more than half of the movie, I want to say 90% of the movie, I want to say until Elizabeth Olsen says his name when they're reunited at the very end of this movie, I, I labeled him as Brody. It turns out that's his last name. I mean, he uh, he does have an incredible first name, which is the, the best name that you could, for, for such an offensively American movie, they really na- nailed it by naming their main character Ford. You think that was a product deal? <laughs> maybe i don't know uh, but you love you love to see brian cranston and and male anna taylor joy together because you're like man this this male anna taylor joy guy uh really doesn't seem to have a lot of charisma he's kind of got like a teenager's head on a super built body but at least brian cranston's going to be around for the entirety of the movie right if nothing else this movie will be carried by brian cranston and not oh wait Brian Cranston dies at the 20 minute mark. Oh wait, he's unceremoniously killed at the 20 minute mark. And honestly, his son doesn't seem that bothered by it. There is no processing of Brian Cranston's death in this movie at all. Hardly. It's like he Ford loves his family, has to leave his family to go babysit his conspiracy theorist. Dad, his conspiracy theorist dad dies in the Mudo attack, right? When the Mudo hatches, Yes, the Mudo hatches from – it turns out it had been feeding on the radiation that they had been pumping into it that entire time. And then it unleashes an electromagnetic pulse, which they knew it had some effect on electricity, but they couldn't quite nail it until Brian Cranston says it's an it, – you know, he just straight up says it's an electric mag- magnetic, magnetic pulse that happened 15 years ago. Um, and then the Mudo gets out and Brian Cranston is on a bridge – being held up by a crane and the Muto attacks the crane to get rid of the net that's over the pit that it's in. 
and the bridge falls and Brian Cranston's character is just thrown off screen. And then in a, a subsequent scene, um, the camera pans up from the ground from someone who looks a lot like Brian Cranston. If we could do the rest of the episode with, with the <laughs> upward inflection thing, that would be great. It turns out it's not him, and it's not until a random guy from the American military shows up and says that they're taking over and that Ken Watanabe's character has to come with him. Is there anyone else he needs? And then it's only then when Ken Watanabe points at male Anya Taylor-Joy and his father, Brian Cranston, that we realize that Brian Cranston's still alive, but then he dies in the very next scene before he could even tell any of the information that he has to Ken Watanabe, which leads to this weird scene where they're questioning male Anya Taylor-Joy, and he's got nothing to say to them, and then they just let him go, and it's like, what was the point of any of that? Yeah, doesn't really make a lot of sense also it really feels like it really feels like brian cranston had like another engagement like he had to go film contagion or something yeah (laughs) and and then they're like brian cranston what are we supposed to do with your character he's like let me see that he took the script and he just wrote the words dies from his wounds yeah on on the script which is not a not a great way to to kill a character i don't know it, it felt strange to kill him off that way and also, like, we get no information. I, there's a revelation that this monarch company has been operating behind the scenes since 1999, um, when uh, the, the film actually opens up with monarch showing up at a mining site to find the, these these spores with these, I'm just going to call them eggs in them, um, or the, the spores are the eggs. It's really hard for me to understand because the movie – just kind of throws terms around as though I'm supposed to know. The Mudos are parasites, but they don't feed off anything living. They only feed off radiation, which is not living. But then they explain it's because the world used to be more radioactive and they use that as a food source. Yeah, it's a I don't good know. movie. <laughs> it's a it's a good movie, but now under close examination, I, I think maybe uh, some of it uh, structurally maybe, maybe doesn't hold up so much. Uh, but... It it sure is shot from the human perspective, which is something that you want from a Godzilla movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Ford Brody is sort of – Ford Brody and his wife, L. Brody. Is that really I, their last name? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Look it up on IMDb. I think Brian Cranston is listed in this movie's credits as Scientist Joe, which seems – which seems a little Scientist bad. Joe Brody. I'm going to look up Godzilla 2014 and uh, we'll get the cast and their names up and uh, I will be proven wrong as is, uh, you know, no, Ford Brody. Yeah. Joe Brody, L Brody. There's a Sam Brody who's the young son of Ford Brody. Ah, uh, yes. Sandra Brody. God, none of these names are good. Hey, Sally Hawkins is in this movie. Gotta love Sally Hawkins. Yeah, she plays a... Oh my god, I totally forgot. Brian Cranston's fucking wife is Juliette Binoche and she dies in the first five. The fact that this movie had the power of Brian Cranston and Juliette Binoche and killed them both within the first 30 minutes? Come on. Uh, Yeah, they both had prior engagements. Unbelievable. I mean, it's not unbelievable that they had prior engagements. They're both incredible actors, but come on. And this movie had a um, 
and uh, as of yet, sort of undiscovered Elizabeth Olsen as just a generic wife character um, who is also just another POV for all of the things happening around uh, the Godzilla happenings. Um, but it, it's a weird thing where I forgot she was in it. And then I, I, I expressed such verbally to my wife upon Elizabeth Olsen first showing up. And by the end of the movie, Jamie said, how could you forget she's in it? She's in like 50% of the film. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. This was before Scarlet Witch. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pre-Scarlet Witch, so you'd be forgiven for not totally checking into that fact. Elizabeth Olsen does an incredible job. And I know that we said this movie rocked, but I am going to I'm going to dock at points a little bit in that Elizabeth Olsen turns in an amazing performance as the one person who is the most oblivious to the yes. giant monster Godzilla text because everyone else is clued in, but she's always conveniently doing something that she's not aware of what's going on. My like, favorite. Mo- she refuses yeah, my- to look at the TV when the monsters right. are fighting. And then like the city's yeah. being attacked by monsters and she's like wheeling a gurney around. They're like, Hey, the city's being attacked by monsters. My favorite part of this movie is when um, her husband is in Hawaii. And while Hawaii is being attacked by a giant Mudo monster, the son, her son is watching this on the news. And she is consistently saying, Sam, turn that off. Turn that off, Sam. It's time for bed, Sam. Sam, turn that off. And it's like, if you would look at the TV, you would notice that Hawaii's under attack and that's where your husband is. And he's left you a voice message that we never see you actually getting. Mm -hmm. But you would know that he's being routed through Hawaii and you might be a little concerned. (laughs) Yeah, you you might rightfully uh, be concerned. I don't know. I think something this movie does do somewhat interestingly is it kind of shows people not taking the threat of monsters as seriously. I don't know. There's that incredible shot where like they go into the, this movie is full of great, like set piece shots. Cause once the Muto rolls through Las Vegas, uh, they show like, uh, SWAT oh, the teams that firefighters like evacuating casino suites and mm-hmm. they like run into one and, some like very Vegasy song is playing and the wall of the suite is, has been blown out by the Mudo. By the way, another thing ca- characters love to do in this movie is uh, by surprise, find that a building or mountain has been destroyed. Oh, this got on my nerves a little bit. Um, Cause it, yeah, the, it first happens in the mining scene where it's like something hatched and there's a giant hole. And it's like th- through the, the wall of the mine that leads to outside it's like no, nobody saw that from the air, but then they do the exact same thing again with the but radioactive it's way bigger. Site. Yeah, and it's like no one saw that from the air. And, and the the crazy thing is, once again, this movie rocks, and I feel like we're making fun of it. But the the establishing shot of people getting there is people flying over that mountain in helicopters. Yeah. No one yeah. looked down and said, "Oh, half of this nuclear disposal facility has been blown out of the mountain." Well, you know, all these people on their fucking cell phones. (laughs) No one's fucking looking up from their goddamn cell phones if they had only watched the news like that child did. Right. The the child who's watching the news and goes, look, mommy, a dinosaur. (laughs) And she's like, I'm too worried about your father. (laughs) Unbelievable. 
I like this movie. I really do. And I, I like you say, it's told from the human perspective, which you absolutely, absolutely need to do to the point where, as I mentioned, we really don't see a monster fight until the, the third act of the film. But it, it's cleverly done kind of in the background to kind of like Shaun of the Dead almost, where it's like the threat is there. It's looming in the background. People are dying. People die in every scene of this movie. Um, but we really, we really just want Ford to get home to his son for his son's birthday or whatever. So he doesn't end up becoming his dad. I mean, they really did a great job generally of showing the scale of people because if people saw these things, it was from a distance or I don't know the, and I, I promise not to talk too much about future movies because that's what future episodes of this very podcast are for. Uh, but I think you kind of start to lose the thread on what makes a Godzilla or a kaiju movie impactful. From a human perspective, if you film things with the assumption that these monsters are like human scale and you can't even see the humans anymore. Like that whole thing on the bridge when Godzilla like first appears and you see oh, like yeah. the perspective of people like trying to flee the, the yeah. scene on that bridge and you just see these like this massive creature just it's like a moving mountain which is what it should look like there's a great scene in the airport um when our 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 buddy ford is stuck on the monorail and uh, the muto shows up like drains all the power but then the power comes back on and you see the train moving toward the muto but then we cut to the scene of like airplanes exploding because of the the muto throwing something and, and amidst the all of the explosions, just a foot appears that is bigger than anything around it. And you, you, you realize Godzilla is walking toward the Muto. But we see this pulled back through a window with people r- literally running for their lives. Like humans are always at the forefront of this movie, even when monsters about to go at it to the point where it's like if I was there, I would kind of be like, all right, I'm fucking dead. Like. Airplanes are exploding. There are people probably on those planes. They're on. They're at the gate. Like they're either maybe they got lucky and it's just it's in the the five minute cleaning window. So only the steward, the the, the flight attendants, and the pilots died. But like I don't know. I tried to keep account of the body count in this movie, John. I mean, it's it's a movie that doesn't shy away from the fact that a bunch of people must have died including of right. course uh, coach taylor's son or whatever coach taylor's son you know coach taylor from friday night lights he's not in this movie yeah but he's in future movies and his grievance with godzilla is that his son died oh okay well we don't know that yet yeah we'll um, talk about it later yeah so the movie starts with 40 miners dying and then yes. uh, the the radiation team, a team of five die. So then we're up to 45. Then that entire power plant is destroyed. So let's say a couple of hundred there. And then it just exponentially grows every scene. More and more people dying until we get to the the point where like a disaster will happen. And then 30 minutes later, someone will walk up to a general who's also an actor from The Expanse. And tell them that a thousand people died in Las Vegas. And you're like, well, whoopsies. I mean, it, it's really the way that this movie is is shot is kind of watching a, a big slow motion natural disaster happening. But a, a series of them, I suppose. One thing that surprised me is, is going into this movie. I really thought that uh, 
And I guess with the cultural cachet he has now, this could never happen. I assumed that Godzilla was actually going to be the uh, the antagonist. I assumed that Godzilla would kind of be unopposed in this movie, causing devastation, similar to the original Godzilla right. where he was actually the villain. Right, no, villain. yeah. I don't think you can classify Godzilla as, well, this movie does, but I don't think you can classify him as hero slash savior or villain. I think he's just kind of big lizard well i i would argue with that i would argue that this movie classifies godzilla as a savior or uh, as a protagonist or a hero i I think ken watanabe is kind of he says it best like godzilla is just a force of nature and nature has a way of of finding balance there there's a threat to the apex predator role that godzilla uh, holds and once that that he he destroys that threat. He just goes back into the ocean. Yeah, I mean, it literally at the end of this movie, there's a Chiron on the news that says "Savior of our city, giant lizard" or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it it clearly puts the role of of savior on Godzilla. And I don't think well, you can make a Godzilla movie in America and have Godzilla be the bad guy. I, I think that's just the the, a, the human way of interpreting it. You know, they're like, oh, he happened to save our city. That, it would be like if a hurricane put out a fire, you know? Yeah. <laughs> hurricane, savior of our city. Right. Or, yeah, or, or like, uh, you know, a, a monsoon ending a drought. It, it, it's just it's just a force of nature that we kind of benefited from. But at the same time, we don't got Godzilla's number. We don't know how to contact him again in case we need him. Yeah, you know, Godzilla kind of does what Godzilla does. Uh, I I think, I don't know, I I found it kind of difficult for me to, because typically uh, in in the Japanese tradition, a remake of Godzilla does cast Godzilla in in kind of a darker, uh, more amoral light. Because, of course, in the original Godzilla, his entire point was he was either depending on your interpretation uh, a punishment for mankind's use of nuclear weapons or an analogy for for nuclear weapons in general like the right the existence of godzilla i think kind of the simplistic reading is to say that he's like punishing mankind but i think what it actually is is man is the godzilla is nuclear weapons godzilla is like a an animized version of the pain and suffering that mankind can cause on itself. But because it doesn't have a political motivation, you can see how horrifying it is. Yeah, absolutely. Historically, nuclear arms have been wrapped up with Godzilla uh, just from the beginning. Like the original Godzilla 1954 is that um, the, the the nuclear bombs woke it up. The test, like they did testing out in the Pacific, uh, woke up this giant ancient creature, and then it wreaks havoc on on oddly Tokyo. Um, you would think, you think if it was punishing mankind, it wouldn't punish the victims of the nuclear bombs. It would punish the people who dropped the bombs. Yeah, that's why I think that reading doesn't make sense. Is when when yeah. people say that Godzilla is like punishing because like not to get too. Not to analyze a movie from 1954 about a man in a lizard suit too much, but like they have a, a test of nuclear weapons on in Bikini Atoll. It wakes up Godzilla. Godzilla destroys Japanese cities and, and ends life indiscriminately. And afterwards, 
they have a press conference where they talk about, oh, we should tell the world about Godzilla. And then people say you can't tell the world about Godzilla because it'll mess up like diplomatic relations and, and ruin your economic ties to other countries, which is what happened to Japan. After we dropped the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, we forbade the Japanese from publishing anything about it in the news for like a year because we okay. didn't want to mess up diplomatic ties. So Godzilla is a nuke. Right. So I, I feel like the second reading is more apropos where Godzilla is nuclear destruction with no agenda. <laughs> With no, it just shows up, kills people, destroys thing, and then it leaves. Yeah, because I mean, if we put like, if we put an agenda on something, we can assume, like, we can do a lot of hiding behind an agenda, I suppose. But if you just make it a big lizard, you can just see the, the like horrified devastation. And then, like, it created a series of movies where Godzilla fought things, and then Godzilla was fun. You know, very weird arc, very Rambo esque. Yeah, I, I mean, eventually Godzilla. I don't know if it becomes a hero, but you kind of end up rooting for him rather than, you know, Megalon or Gigan or King Ghidorah, Mothra, Rodan. <laughs> it's like we, we, we like the devil that we know. <laughs> you know, I don't actually feel like American cinema does that anymore. We had a really – not American, but cinema in general. Like we had a really interesting track record of – Godzilla is a monster and is a stand-in for nuclear weapons. And then slowly over time, like, we start to like him and we want him to fight, you know, a bunch of monsters. And that's pretty cool. And we did the same thing with The Terminator. The first Terminator is a horror movie. The Terminator, the T-800, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, is a monster. And then Terminator 2, we're like, he's better. And we did the same thing with Rambo. Rambo was like a guy with ptsd who reflexively killed people and was very emotionally disturbed and then we're like you know what rambo rips so rambo's cool yeah. uh, we don't do that anymore yeah. our heroes are very clearly our heroes well also the first rambo was made of like a message in mind and actually has something to say whereas that's the rest of the series is completely tone deaf and serves no purpose hey this film is dedicated to the brave muhajideen fighters of afghanistan why do you keep saying that every week it's the it, it literally the end of Rambo three says that. Oh, yeah! It literally at the very end of Rambo three it says this film is dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. I'm gonna be straight with you. I have never seen a Sylvester Stallone movie. You know that's fine. Watch the first Rambo. It's quite good. Um, was he in was he in Predator? No, he definitely was not. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anyway, okay. Godzilla. Godzilla. Um, what else about this movie? <laughs> what else about this movie? One thing that I really liked, uh, and I don't know, I, I would love to actually do my research and figure this out, but did you notice the, uh, there's a number of pretty sweet, what I'm going to call Zilla reveals in this movie, uh, because this movie does something which is absolutely right, which I, I feel like more Godzilla movies should have done. Uh, other than the first one, which does this, which is don't show all of Godzilla at once. Like, considering, oh, yeah. considering humans couldn't see all of Godzilla easily anyway, just show a little mm -hmm. Godzilla. Like, I feel like we should maybe save a few minutes just to talk about the Halo drop sequence, which is amazing. Right. Uh, we should. There, absolutely. 
there's a there's a Zilla reveal where Godzilla someone is about to be attacked by the Muto. I forget the circumstances of the scene, but you see Godzilla's tail whip out of the smoke, and then Godzilla like roars through the smoke, and it's playing this kind of weird discordant piano piece, which. I'd like to do my research because during the Godzilla attacks and the original Godzilla, it was this weird, sparse piano score. And if they used that music for this movie, that's better than like any uh, musical leitmotif thing done in any of the other Godzilla movies. That would be genius. But if not, it's just very close. Oh, if not, still pretty cool. Maybe an, an homage, if not directly related. They're like, hey, well... They did this in the first one. We can do something similar while dodging copyright and not paying royalties. Uh, but I, some I do real, have, like I have to so, agree yeah, with go. the monster reveals, um, especially the first Muto, who we only see through flashes of life, light very very briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get you get a sense of its shape and its silhouette. But something it does so well is just this ominous tendril <laughs> that is its foot. Just keeps kind of like popping up over the rim and like then it's like pulls the wires down. But we see this tendril like it becomes kind of a character in this movie, this this tendril of a foot because you'll see it and then like it stamps down and then it it does the electromagnetic pulse in a later thing. But it's just like so many parts and pieces of the monster are more menacing than just seeing the monster fully just because of the sheer size of it. You can't even fight its foot, and here comes the rest of it. I mean, there's that incredible scene where uh, where Ford and whoever that other guy is, the other EOD guy, when they're trying to transport the nuke, when they're on elevated train tracks and they're trying to hide from it, and you see this massive shape moving behind them, and then it's impossible to make out, but then... Whoever designed the Mudos did such a good job that you clearly see it's like weird V-shaped eyes just glide under the the tracks and then glide up. The Mudo is it's a well-designed creature. I I think that it's very scary and they yeah. they did a really good job showing it to you. For only having the rights to Godzilla for this movie, they did a good job creating a generic kind of giant monster. For Godzilla to go up against. Uh, it, I mean, they could have gone the route where Godzilla shows up, is the bad guy, destroys thing and leaves. But it doesn't make sense for an American narrative to do that because we didn't go through it. We were the ones who dropped the bomb. We were not the ones who were hit by it. So the, our audiences might not be able to relate to Godzilla showing up and attacking us. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this is going to go a place. So there are definitely scenes in this movie that are reminiscent of 9-11. And and I think it's difficult to get away from that in the American consciousness. Trust me, I have a point. Uh, But like at the end, when, you know, the sun's out, Godzilla has passed out, the Mudo has been defeated, uh, and they're like sifting through debris and firefighters are like desperately listening for people and and pulling them out of the the debris that is a really seriously impactful scene because to us as americans it is reminiscent of imagery we saw after the attacks on september 11th however we as americans and i can say this 
with a great deal of confidence, we have no idea what it's like to live through uh, a human catastrophe, uh, like the war crime that was dropping nuclear weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I think like, I mean, obviously like millions of people were killed. Uh, and of of those people, like 650-something thousand survived, and of those, only less than 100,000 are still alive or were still alive after a few years. Uh, so that was hundreds of thousands of people impacted by this thing that is etched into their cultural identity. Uh, so I, I don't know that we as Americans could get that. Like, even now, even us, like, two people from America trying to, like, make sense of which reading of Godzilla makes the most sense. I don't know that we could even get close to touching what the what the cultural perspective of Godzilla must be from a Japanese perspective. Right. And it's why attempts to sort of create an American monster, if you will, putting King Kong aside, um, like Cloverfield wasn't that well-received because a monster shows up and attacks us and it feels like you watch firsthand like that is a movie very similar to this Godzilla movie that is shot entirely from the human perspective through found footage so like it has to be human like there has to be a human behind it and involved at all times throughout that entire movie and it just kind of falls flat because it just feels like chaotic random bad luck Whereas it, it almost, it, it almost yeah. made me feel, uh, I don't know. There's a scene where people are reuniting in a football stadium, obviously reminiscent of hurricane Katrina or any mm-hmm. other like major natural disaster. And it, it makes me wonder what a movie in, a, in the American like perception could be if it really leaned on, because people just aren't used to bad things happening to America. Cause to be honest with you, not that many bad things have happened to America. I feel like, like you said, people meeting up in a football stadium is reminiscent to like a hurricane. If a monster movie happened in the south along the coast, it might play more because then we've got that experience of hurricanes. But then again, it wouldn't play on a national level. You know, people in in the the Midwest wouldn't be able to relate. People in California might be able to relate because of earthquakes maybe. Um, But it's just, this country is too vast with too many regions and too many different types of like biomes and weather patterns. Like we're just too different to be able to sync up at a national level for us to be attacked in one place by a monster and just kind of get it that, Oh, this is, this is climate change. This is global warming attacking us, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I feel like in some ways, America's like too big and too innocent to have the stories that that Japan has. This was a major problem that I had with this movie is the cavalier, relatively cavalier approach it has to nuclear weapons. And I thought that yeah. it was maybe going to to say something relatively interesting because the the thing that they do and going into it, I shouldn't have assumed this, but I thought that the filmmakers were geniuses because they retrofit the nuclear weapon they were going to use to attract slash kill Godzilla and the Mudos, but they retrofitted to have the exact same clockwork timing mechanism. The bombs they dropped in Hiroshima and Nagasaki had, and I thought they were going to do something with that. And they didn't. It really felt like this movie was like moving towards saying something about nuclear weapons. But by the end, it really didn't. 
say anything at all. And we'll, we'll maybe revisit this later in the series, but in the original Godzilla, the oxygen destroyer was the thing that killed Godzilla. Like at the end of the original Godzilla, Godzilla dies, uh, ostensibly. They didn't intend to make more of those movies, but the oxygen destroyer as an idea was supposed to be a weapon greater than nuclear weapons. And the point of Godzilla was we shouldn't use that to solve our problems. Like we shouldn't keep escalating, uh, our, our responses, to bad things happening being we have to kill it harder because it's just going to kill more people. Whereas Godzilla is essentially a nuclear bomb. The oxygen destroyer literally just makes life disappear. Uh, so don't do that. Right. Uh, right. It, warning against escalation in this horrible race for the most dangerous weapon. Exactly. And, and this movie really didn't say anything about nuclear weapons for a movie no. that, that had so, a lot of them in it. The, the movie, when they introduced that plan to retrofit, retrofit that nuclear bomb to lure them and then kill them, like the scientists are like, they feed off radiation. This is a dumb plan. Like it, it's not going to affect them. But they're like, oh, it's so much more force than, than the bombs we used in 1954. So it's going to – the force is going to kill them. But how do you hear? Th- how do you hear that plan and not think this is just stupid? This is a it, stupid plan, and it's it's not even commented on. I, I think that something that is written from the American perspective wouldn't necessarily find there to be a problem with escalation and making us making a statement like this is like magnitudes. This weapon of mass destruction is magnitudes greater than the one we killed Dr. Sarazo's family with. So obviously it'll, it'll kill Godzilla. They even have the thing where Dr. Sarazo's uh, watch, which stopped uh, at some point in August, 1945, when they dropped the bombs in Japan, it's really not even commented on. Like it's a sad thing about so, his character. Yeah. That, that, um, that scene is presented at, to like, my wife and I were trying to determine the purpose of that scene because like it, it's given a lot of gravity, it's given a lot of weight and it happens, but it doesn't change the Admiral's mind. Mm-hmm. They go on with the plan, but it's, it's just like, so why is it here? It doesn't even like convince or concern Ford uh, because Ford is, is kind of the linchpin in their plan of delivering this nuclear warhead. Uh, so what, I don't know. I I feel like this movie walks right up to the line of having any desire to indict us for what we did to Japan and then just doesn't say or do anything about it. The bomb just goes off at the end of the movie. The, in a, in a Godzilla movie, the bomb meant nothing, which is an yeah. insane thing to say, because in a Godzilla movie, of any movies, the nuke should mean something. I, I think every time America makes a Godzilla movie, we miss the point. We missed it in, two th- in 1998 or 1999 with Matthew Broderick, mm-hmm. where they introduced tiny mini Godzillas, which is like, what the fuck? This is the stupidest thing ever. Oh, by the way, just uh, so everyone knows in the Godzilla fan community, uh, every Godzilla has a name. Typically, its name is the movie that it was in. Uh, Do you know what the name of the 1998 Godzilla is? Matthew Broderick. They just call it Zilla. Dumb. 
but it's people in there's a serious contingent of like Japanese Godzilla fans who quite like uh Zilla. They're like a little four panel comics They're with like Zilla, Zilla in them. Yeah, they they think Zilla's cute. They usually make him like the butt of jokes. Okay. The Godzilla Her. community is very welcoming even to bad Godzilla movies. Uh, c- canonically, the 1998 Godzilla is a her. Her, sorry. Uh, yeah. Also, Godzilla's gender, in general, kind of up in the air. I don't think it has a gender. Yeah, I mean, Godzilla Godzilla don't have no babies. It's, it's, it's you know. Wait, no, Godzilla them. absolutely has a gender. The great, the great green mother of three. Yeah. I, I, we're going to go through these movies and we're going to find that America doesn't really have anything to say about Godzilla. These movies that are being made in this WB deal with Toho are just more for the spectacle and uh, the, the, the disaster movie atmosphere that America loves putting on. Um, but they really don't have anything to say about the, the, the topics and the themes that they're talking about. I mean, if, if we were to look at it in terms of just sheer volume of movies, uh, I think, so there's a, there was like a movement in Japanese cinema because of Godzilla. I think it's called like Tokusats, maybe just, the, just special effects movies, monster movies, the great, great, overwhelming majority of Godzilla movies have absolutely fucking nothing to say. So maybe on balance, this Godzilla movie, really not saying too much, but saying a little bit, I don't know, maybe it's a little better than average in terms of its messaging as far as Godzilla movies go, because uh, there there is a little bit in there, but I don't know. Yeah. A, a Godzilla movie has a chance to say a lot, and this movie did not. The closest thing to there being a message is Ken Watanabe telling the Admiral, the arrogance of man is thinking that nature is in their control and not the other way around. Let them fight. Yeah. It, uh, something that uh, definitely bears out to be true. You know, what we haven't talked too much about in this entire episode about Godzilla is how much the the limited amount of monster fight we get rips. Uh, oh, it rips I, hard. I love new Godzilla. I, this, mm-hmm. we, we have not talked about this. We've talked about this a lot in person. Godzilla goes through some redesigns in general throughout time. Uh, I really, really like this Godzilla. Of course, my number one Godzilla redesign is Shin Godzilla as it should be everyone's. Uh, but this Godzilla redesign is like big lumbering it's thick. It's, it's thick. It looks like a mountain. It almost looks yeah. like a, he he's got like cartoonish like Totoro ish characteristics that just <laughs> that just make him look like a like a he looks big and tired which is great. I really love the wind up, you know, from tail all the way to head. Oh, the sound design in this movie, including <laughs> including the, the wind up. Yeah, all of that is great. The fact that we don't see the atomic breath until like. It's absolutely needed because Godzilla's being outnumbered by these mutos. Everything about the monster fights just knocks it out of the park and it really saves the movie. Like, if we didn't have these sequences, we would have a subpar kind of like a Pearl Harbor film almost, you know? Uh, Pearl Harbor directed by Michael Bay. Um, I mean, we'd, we'd have like. And, uh, we'd we'd have the, the Cloverfield problem, which is. It's very cool to see a movie shot from like 
people's perspectives, but sometimes you just want to see the thing. We got to uh, zoom out and see the monsters fight, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. This movie, we talked a lot about what this movie has or doesn't have to say. Let's just praise the movie. The movie really gives service to Godzilla because re- remember the, the thing where I said like the gentle piano music is playing when Godzilla does like his first big roar and it's seen like from a human perspective. That's amazing. But he like walks away from that and the music cuts out and he walks away and crashes into a building. And the only thing you hear is the shattering of glass, like someone tinkling keys on a keyboard. Amazing. Uh, just all the Godzilla. Godzilla gets in, such a good treatment in this movie. And cinema, cinema, cinematographically, the movie is beautiful. Like all of this destruction, even the wave, this wave, this weird tsunami wave that comes, that sh- hits Hawaii when Godzilla shows up. Just all of this destruction is, it's just so beautifully filmed and, and rendered by computers or whatever. Like the artists, the, the, the FX artists pour their souls into this. And, and of course, Godzilla looks amazing and the mutos look amazing. Just, and this yeah. halo sequence, John. <laughs> We don't even have time in this episode to talk about how much, how gorgeous this movie is. Like, I, I've seen all these movies as no surprise to anyone, but like, I'm not going to talk about the incredible cinematography of these movies. I don't think for the most part, but like seeing the waters recede like a, like a tsunami is about to happen, but it's just godzilla and then like that dog is tied up like a like a hurricane is coming to shore and the dog gets free and there's this like awesome like long shot of the dog running and then the dog like intermingles with people there are these gorgeous like long like laborious shots that happen and then the movie intermittently just decides to really wave its movie dick in your face and do things like the halo jump sequence oh yeah no it, it, yeah this would be you know the 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 high school quarterback who had one great game and all they do is tell you about that game this halo drop sequence is just they turned up the dials all the way up and they're like we're gonna make the most beautiful fucking sequence you will ever see and they they did everything (laughs) just just humans Go, jumping from so far up, they're above the clouds, then going through the clouds. The clouds gradually become thunderstorms, and then the thunderstorms gradually become Godzilla itself. There's so I think it's like largely broken down into like four major sequences that I love. Is there like I, I don't know that people typically halo jump with like smoke flares attached to their legs that that kind of maybe people are trying to locate them kind of seems to I don't know it makes you obvious but maybe they're not concerned about Godzilla seeing that maybe I don't know I, I don't want to assume the military tactics of the whole leg flare thing because it was cool but they like break through the upper cloud layer and then they decide to show you, and this is a thing that exists, like the upper cloud layer versus the lower thunderstorm clouds, because thunderstorm clouds are heavy. And there's typically like, I play a lot of Microsoft Flight Simulator. There's two layers, is all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they're falling between this kind of liminal space, this like intermediary cloud layer in total silence, these these five smoke trails and then they break through the thunderstorm layer and then you see just 
the the barest shadow of Godzilla in the background. Unbelievably huge. And then, like, as they're falling, you see, like, through their eyes, and you can't hear Godzilla because all they can hear is their breath because they're jumping. And you just, like, it. it's like people... Uh, you ever see those like wingsuit videos where people like go through mountain passes and stuff? They're doing that, but Godzilla. Yeah, they're 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 literally scaling Godzilla from top to bottom, and they're so close. It's like, oh my god, like they're going to die. <laughs> yeah, they're so close to Godzilla, and, and all, that seems so beautiful. And then they get on the ground, and every shot where they're running around the street, like a monster is in the background walking down the cross street and there's nobody there. It's like post-apocalyptic. And it's like, this is a horror movie. And, and there are multiple moments where like the horror inspired, like uh, oh. going through the, the cave at the beginning, then going through the jungle, tracking down the submarine. And then all of the, all of the post-apocalyptic street stuff. This, this film borrows things from other genres without capitalizing on them to great effects. Like, they borrow those horror elements where you're uncertain and you're going through a dangerous environment, but there's no jump scares except for the fucking bird on the goddamn bus. Yeah, I did not. I did not like the the bus bird at all. I feel like Gareth Edwards, who directed this movie, could make a hell of a Cloverfield movie. Yeah, he honestly, could. the one of the shots that like really stunned me with its like kind of horror and beauty is Elizabeth Olsen is at the hospital. I think, I think she just sends her child away because they're like evacuating the city and getting buses out of there. And then they become engulfed in the Mudo's like electromagnetic pulse sphere of influence. Like the idea that wherever this thing goes, the lights go out, which is a really convenient story choice to make it hard to see Godzilla and the Mudo. Uh, <laughs> a good one, uh, a very good one. But they right, like because the because the cameras wouldn't work. Yeah, the cameras <laughs> wouldn't work. Uh, but when they get engulfed in its like sphere of influence, and you see all the military equipment shutting down, Elizabeth Olsen has no idea where her husband is, and then she walks out into this like smoke and fog, and you see a, someone parachuting down. Yeah, and I could swear it's filmed in such a way that she looks hopeful, thinking that for some reason that might be her husband and that whips around her and like an F 35 just crashes into a building and everything just immediately goes to shit. And then Elizabeth Olsen being the amazing actor that she is, uh, you see the, the dawning realization on her face of how bad everything is. It's just so good. And and that's, I think the first time her character actually acknowledges is like, Oh shit, shit's fucked. (laughs) Like, yeah, I, 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 you know, you could say a lot about her sending her her kid away on a bus that ends up on the San Francisco Bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, where Godzilla <laughs> pops up. Like, if she knew that was going to happen, she probably would be like, stay here with me, Sam. Like, we're not going to send you on a bus that, that maybe runs people over trying to get off the bridge. I mean, honestly, if I was in any situation where the last time I heard from my significant other, they're like, I'm being routed through Hawaii, and I was at my job, and someone said, hey, bad shit's happening, the last bus is leaving in 10 minutes, I'd be like, I'm going to be on that bus. I have no reason to believe that my significant other is anywhere near me right now. Yeah, she's like, I've got patience, and they're like, they're being taken to, they're being evacuated. 
everyone's her, being evacuated. Her last you excuses, should be evacuated. Her last excuse is I gotta wait for Ford. It's like you have no idea where Ford is right now. And also, he, if he the city shut, if the city shut down, they're evacuating people. They're not gonna let Ford go to your hospital. Like evacuate. Yeah. Here's this is a zero credits recommendation. If people run up to you and tell you to evacuate, just do it. Uh, the, the Typically, evacuations are handled in such a way that if you're waiting for anybody, they won't be able to get to the place that you just evacuated from anyway. Uh, so zero credits is pro-evacuation. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm For sure. I mean, I grew up in a place where routinely we would have to evacuate at least once a fall. And uh, we, we typically evacuated every time we had to just because there's no – you don't risk it. And uh, like – because the worst thing that could ha- – the, the best outcome for staying through an evacuation is, okay, your house is fine, but you don't have power. And you won't have power for some time. Why not evacuate and go to a hotel that has power than stay in your house with no power? I mean, you and I grew up in a similar place geographically. Every time I was given the chance to evacuate and didn't, I did regret it. Right. So, uh, evacuate. Because eventually they stopped making Game Boys with batteries and you had to, like, charge them up. So you couldn't just replace the batteries in your your DS. So it's not going to last you the whole hurricane. When, uh, When Hurricane Katrina happened, I think the PSP was out at that time, right? Uh, 2005. Hurricane Katrina or the PSP? Uh, I don't know anything about the PSP. I know Hurricane Katrina was 2005. It's etched in my brain forever. Yes, I did have a PSP because they came out in March of 2005 and Hurricane Katrina was mid-August 2005. It hit on Uh, my birthday. Oh, no. What a terrible... Wait, no. Now everyone knows your birthday. It's whatever. I don't care. I, uh... Wait, in the Caribbean? Uh, no, <laughs> You're I, trying uh, to throw them off the scent. I am, but uh, no, I remember uh, I had two sources of entertainment uh, throughout Hurricane Katrina, and one was a PSP, and one was my little tiny MP3 player, and I had to ration both to like 10 minutes a day while we didn't have power for almost a month. Uh, it was I no mean, good. Yeah. yeah, it's no good. Evacuate. So Elizabeth Olsen, if you're listening... I know it was in the script, but your character really should have evacuated. And if you want to come on the show and discuss that character choice, you know, sure, please, please come on the show. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to twist our arms about it, I mean, I guess you can come on, Elizabeth Olsen. I guess. I mean, yeah, it, it, look, you, you got us between a rock and a hard place. Listen, if you're, if you're going to hardball us about this... We will not talk about WandaVision or Marvel movies. We can only talk about the Godzilla movie. Yeah. That's that's our final offer. That's our final offer. We do not want to talk about your body of work at large. We just want to talk about L. Brody. Yes. A character you probably don't even remember. <laughs> or care to talk about, really, because she doesn't have a lot going on. It's, it's amazing to see Elizabeth Olsen do things like this with the range... And just sheer talent we know she is capable of. I feel similarly and for the same reason about looking at like old Paul Bettany roles. I'm like, did we didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't we know, had know what no we had. I feel like, I mean, historically, this has to be the case where uh, 
very phenomenal actors are, are, are sidelined into these roles of being like just the wife of the protagonist. I mean, Brian Cranston was the dad on Malcolm in the Middle. Right, yeah. Well, specifically women actresses who are sidelined as just like the wife of the protagonist. Yeah. Who who then, when they finally get a chance, like show off their entire range and all of their talent and and everything they can do. And it's like, you look back and like, you were wife of Ford Brody? You (laughs) could have been carrying this movie better than the block of wood that did sort of carry the movie only because the camera kept following him. You you were the wife of the guy who, to the best of my knowledge, was in Kick-Ass and that was it. I, I feel like this movie gets improved a little bit if you just swap uh, Ford with L. If L is the soldier and L was the daughter of Brian Cranston. Yeah, it'd be great. I feel like a, yeah, I feel like Elizabeth Olsen could have knocked this out of the park. Let's further switch it. Juliet Binoche is the scientist that has oh. to let Brian Cranston die. Okay. Uh, because honestly, if we did like a cage match between actors we prefer to see on screen, I much prefer Juliet Binoche to Brian Cranston, though I love Brian Cranston. Uh, yeah. And then change know. out Godzilla for Mothra. <laughs> a fo- well, then you're just, we're just doing the thing that uh, Hollywood does all the time. We're just making a full female reboot. Yeah, of yeah. We're, we're just doing a Ghostbusters, which is not to yeah. say that the Ghostbusters remake was bad. I liked it a lot. I never uh, saw it just because I've actually never seen an, a Ghostbusters movie. You know, they're pretty good. I just put them right up there with Sylvester Stallone. They're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this one. I don't know about this know. actor slash franchise. Man, if they made a <laughs> Ghostbusters with Sylvester Stallone, you would like negative see it. Yeah, I, I would. I would see it. I would not see it so hard. I would just know the plot and every line, kind of like how I knew the entirety of Back to the Future without actually seeing Back to the Future. Hey, Henry, get your meat hooks off of me. Uh, I have seen Back to the Future now, which is how I, I confirm. Like I've basically seen this movie. It's not complicated. I'd say between the two, watch Ghostbusters. Uh, Anyway, uh, we are increasingly talking about things that are not Godzilla related. This movie rocks. We nitpicked it the entire time. I I feel so bad because we spent like 40 minutes nitpicking this movie when in fact I loved this movie to death. I've seen a lot of Godzilla movies. This is definitely like in the top... Yeah, it's in the top quartile for me. The top 25% of Godzilla movies. I think this is definitely in there. In a genre of movie that includes things like a a pair of tiny twins who sing to summon a giant moth from an island nation that is just invisible to the naked eye. This is one of the better movies. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Along with that movie, it it is one of the better movies. Uh, yeah, I feel bad we picked it apart. I think we can maybe salvage this by, you know what? Let's talk this through live on the air. You and I have both discussed, uh, you and I have both discussed that we are big Godzilla fans. Absolutely. Does it make sense? You know, we didn't do, we didn't do our typical supplemental readings for the Fast and Furious movies. No, instead we ranked them. What if? What if going forward we don't 
we don't rate these in the like it, love it, gotta have it, etc. scale. Uh, what if instead, going forward, we ranked these movies? We ranked absolutely. the Godzilla movies we watched. Absolutely. We absolutely should rank these five movies. Uh, hold on. Yes, five movies. Once again, to remind everyone, because there's one in here that's a little complicated, we are watching Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, Godzilla King of the Monsters, and Godzilla Kong versus Godzilla Kong. Uh, and at the end, we were watching a movie that Henry has not seen and a movie that is my arguably favorite Godzilla movie. Uh, maybe that'll ruin the rankings, but I actually haven't seen this movie in like three or four years, maybe. Say the uh, title. Uh, Shin Godzilla by Hideaki Anno, the director of Neon Genesis Evangelion. John? Uh-huh. What is the title of your top five list? <laughs> uh, okay, so this week... I'm going to call this one John's Godzilla List. Okay. And uh, what's on that list? Okay. So number one. Wait, are we, go- wait, are we going from worst to best or best to worst? We're because... going to do best to worst like we did with the Fast and Furious. Because that's the stupidest way. Do you want to do worst to best? No, no, no. I I totally want to keep in, but every time I'm reminded of the fact that we consistently went best to worst in the Fast and Furious, which is the the stupidest way to make someone listen to a list. Uh, it's a real marketing okay, masterstroke. Okay. No, well, no, no. Well, let's let's. Okay, I, we, I would say let's switch it up. This is our one chance to edit our process. Okay, we can change from worst to best. Okay. In this one time. This one time for this one series. Okay. So when we my... cover fast when we cover F9 the Fast Saga, we go back to best yeah. to worst. <laughs> we go back to best to worst. It's the only thing that makes sense. But however, for this five movie, ten week series, we have to go from worst to best, which is gonna be a pretty big adjustment. Uh I will say uh, coming in at an unfortunate number one, and also coming in at number one with a bullet, is uh, 2014's Godzilla, directed by Gareth Edwards uh, slash Evans, uh, starring Brian Cranston, <laughs> Juliette Binoche, Elizabeth Olsen, uh, Anna Taylor-Joy, and Godzilla. <laughs> and uh, now it's time for my list, which is called the Top 5 Godzilla List 2021. April 20th. Here we go. 420. 420. Blaze it. Weep, weep, weep. Weep, weep, weep. <laughs> it's, it's not a sound effect. It's weep. W-E-E-P. Comma, weep, comma, weep. Weep, weep, weep. <laughs> uh, and coming in at the worst and best <laughs> entry of this series it's it's godzilla 2014 uh because it underutilized elizabeth olsen she should have played godzilla yeah i'm glad that you had a reason for it being the worst it's also the best because um you know really really applauding anya taylor joy for playing outside of her gender (laughs) yeah you know it's a it's a real uh it's a real queen's gambit she i don't know that's a shitty joke I Cut away seen, from me. I haven't seen... Oh, okay. The camera is now showing uh, our cameraman who doesn't exist. 
Uh, if you uh, like Anna Taylor Joy, you should watch The Queen's Gambit. It's fine. It's just one of those Netflix shows that like everybody loved and is pretty good. I can't tell you. I only watch Netflix for the anime. Oh, like uh, Sound and Fury? High Rise Invasion? Never. That sounds a lot like The Raid, directed by Gareth Evans, who definitively did not direct this movie. Oh, did The Raid take place only on the roofs of buildings? No. Wait, can then I tell it? it's nothing like it. Okay, I'll I'll look into High Rise Invasion. Can I tell people the plot of The Raid? It's just an action movie where they move floor by floor up a, uh, a, high, rise. a high rise. It's really good. The Raid is the best. You're gonna hate. Um, you're gonna hate High Rise Invasion, but yeah, check it out. Uh, I got a lot of animes to watch. Mostly every season, other than the first two of My Hero Academia. Oh yeah, I got to catch up on that. But that's been our list of Godzilla movies thus far in the WB monster verse, if you will. Um, and next time, not next week, but next time. During the summer of Godzilla. That's right. We'll five movies, com- ten weeks. Godzilla. Yeah, so next next week will be a normal episode of Zero Credits. But next time on the uh, the Godzilla Summer of God. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The, the Summer of the Great Green Mother of Three. Uh, we will be covering uh, Kong Skull Island. And uh, we'll, we, will, we will pick that movie apart. Uh, just as hard as we we picked this one apart, and maybe 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 we should do some research to see if it was always in the cards to get these to connect, or if it was just by happenstance. Because it feels weird sometimes yeah. to know that these it, are connected. It uh, it feels weird. We should definitely do the research, and uh, you know who's to say whether we like Kong Skull Island or not, but uh, I pray to God we liked it because we just spent 45 minutes tearing a movie to shreds that we both quite enjoyed. Uh, So I can't imagine what we'll do if we don't like Kong Skull Island. I feel like it's kind of like how people like The Day After Tomorrow, the film, but it's kind of a dumb movie. I actually don't like The Day After Tomorrow as a movie. I, I think that, I don't know, it's a bad movie. I don't like The Day After Tomorrow. It, it's like a good Sunday afternoon, you're watching FX, and that comes on movie. It's no Titanic, let me tell you. Oh my god, get off your James Cameron boat ride. <laughs> I can't! I sank to the bottom of the ocean, and then James Cameron and oh. Brody Lovett or whatever just... He found the Titanic and then he made a movie about it. It's crazy. Anyway. All right. Do you guys have thoughts? Do, do, do you, dear fams, have thoughts about the 2004 movie Godzilla directed by Gareth Edwards? Well, if you do, you can get in touch with us in various ways. Here's one of them. You can send us a tweet at twitter.com. We are at ZCPCWHJ. And uh, John knows what that stands for. Yes, that stands for Zero Credits Podcast Line Line Line. That's absolutely correct. And if you have a longer diatribe about the Godzilla movie directed in 2014, uh, direct, yeah, I guess it was directed in that year. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's you a send- <laughs> phenomenally strange way to put it. 
You can send us an email to email at zerocredits.net. We would love to discuss your thoughts and feelings about Godzilla film uh, with you ever so much. You can find us on Apple Podcasts because iTunes is dead. Long live Apple Podcasts where you can rate and review us so that we can rise in the ranks. We're also on Spotify. You search for us for Zero Credits Podcast. You might have to add the parentheses. I don't know. We're on Spotify, though. You can listen to us there. A lot of you do. But the most important thing you can do is obey evacuation orders. And while you're evacuating, tell everyone around you, listen to Zero Credits. They talk about Godzilla and other things, too. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive, and survive we shall as we head to the past, the 1970s, to Skull Island, where we'll see giant lizards and giant apes and some people who speak sign language. That's right. We will travel to Kong Skull Island, where we will see such terrifying creatures as a giant ape, some giant lizards, and of course... John C. Riley, and from everyone here at the Zero Credits Big Old Godzilla Studio, yeehaw! <laughs> we would like to wish you a happy week. I don't know that that was better than the first one. Goodbye, Goodzilla. Oh, Goodzilla! That's such uh, a good. I, I should have said Goodzilla. Yeah, you suck at this. Man, are you the first person to come up with this? You're not the first person to tell me that, though. Nah.